G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. We're going to be talking about entrepreneurism this hour. Now, there are entrepreneurs and there are Christian entrepreneurs. I wonder if you fit into the category of being a Christian entrepreneur or a Christian business owner or someone who aspires to be a Christian business owner. Well, it's great to be able to welcome our special guest this hour, who is Wes Hone, one of the nation's leading business coaches. He's the founder of the organization called Business Greenhouse. He's also the author of the book called Supernatural Business with practical strategies for, catch this, bigger profits and greater influence. Uh, This could be you, and you can participate in this conversation this hour because we're talking about Christian entrepreneurism, and not to, in some ways, in sometimes past, I feel like we minimize uh, Christian entrepreneurs. Uh, But welcome along, Uh, Wes Hone. Great to have you back in the studio. Great to be here, Neil. Wes, let me just start with this idea because uh, because some people feel as though if you're a Christian in business that somehow or other that is a minimised place compared to people who we might look at in the media as high flyers, uh, people who are leading huge corporations and we think, well, uh, well, I'm a Christian and I could never be like that. That's not necessarily the case. Well, there are examples around the world of Christian entrepreneurs who have the biggest businesses in their industry. So it, it can certainly happen. We certainly don't want to be shying away from building a big, highly profitable, influential organization because we're Christian. I think, you know, one of the things that we have, we have the power of the kingdom behind us. Like that's that's a good advantage to go into the marketplace with. And so, you know, when we realize that and we realize that God is really into business, then that should put us on a more confident footing to go and build something fantastic. And this is an interesting point because in times past, previous conversations, we've talked about the way that churches sometimes don't treat business people with the same level of importance as they might do because sometimes business people, particularly if they're being successful, sometimes seen as like the cash cow that provides for the church. And somehow or other, the way that pastors Uh, and people who are within church life think of the business people in church, sometimes needs a bit of adjustment. Absolutely. And it's a real shame. There are two sides to the equation. Like I I spend half of my life validating the call to business is a call of God, you know, and it's just as anointed to start a business as to start a church. And the pulpit is just as anointed as the boardroom. They're exactly the same. There's no pecking order. So business owners quite often do feel like an ATM machine. But the flip side is... That is part of the gift that they have for the kingdom. So, um, you know, entrepreneurs have the benefit of going into the marketplace, making a large amount of money, you know, using some of it to have a really good life. And then the, the extra, the overflow, funds the kingdom or advances the government of God so that it is a better place to live. 
um, because the funds have to come from somewhere. There's, there's a practical element to ministry and outreach. And one of the biggest things that entrepreneurs have is they don't have a cap. They have the ability to go and do something fantastic. Sometimes we think of business people and the competition they have with one another. That old saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, and the idea of the bigness of your business or the amount of the assets that you own or control, uh, that somehow or other that gives you a certain sense of identity. Uh, the Christian entrepreneur, the Christian business person, not necessarily in the same race like that. Definitely not. I think um, that feeling that people get by amassing toys is the feeling that we should be getting from God. So that 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 reward is what is the bit that God wants to fill in our life so that we're not getting it from toys. Now there's nothing wrong with toys as long as you as long as they're not giving us a status that God, we we should get or we should just be okay with who we are. So toys are a really good thing. I mean, if you don't enjoy the journey, you won't endure the journey. So you've got to have things that you enjoy. I think the difference though is that I think God's looking for a group of people who who get to a point where enough is enough for them. So, you know, there's a certain amount of money that the business produces that I'll take as the business owner, and that's enough for me. And everything I produce above that, I will use for the kingdom. And I, th- there's a few of those people popping up in my network, and those people are experiencing businesses that are twice as big, five times as big, ten times as big in a short amount of time because they've taken this position of that's all I need to keep my life happy and, you know, to have a good time and everything above that, I'm going to give it away. But the trap is a lot of people don't pass that test. Along the journey, when they start to get more, they want the new car and the new BMW and the slightly bigger house. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But if it keeps going up as your business prospers, then you know, at some point, you kind of want to cap that and go, I've got enough and all the rest goes to God. And, and I, think, I think that's what we need right now. I guess sometimes when we talk about success in business and uh, you're talking about you know, those things and the feeling that they give, uh, some people might say, well, that's, isn't that talking about greed? Isn't that talking about the idols that we can create in our own lives, this sort of materialistic, consumeristic culture that we are really immersed in here in Australia? Uh, but there is a sense in which you've got to get beyond that. And we're not going to talk about those, uh, those issues today. I'm just sort of drawing our attention to that as an aside, because I know, and I want to get onto uh, some of these topics, uh, that making a profit is not a sinful thing. It's a good thing. Well, I mean, if money was a bad thing, then Solomon was a really bad person, you know, and he wasn't. He was God's chosen to do a, to do a really important task. And then he was equipped with all of the finances, the gold, the spices. He even had baboons, which is an interesting thing, um, you know, as a symbol of success. So, like, we can't shy away from it. And, like, I think we've got to be highly profitable. You know, that's, a, that's got to be our goal. Um, and, and maybe not everybody has to, to, to try and go out there and build a massively profitable business. But I think that's got to be the goal for the majority because that's how we fund, you know, the ministries. You know, like, for example, we're sitting here at Vision Radio. It requires funds to run. So if there's no funds, there's no, there's no advancing of the ministry. So... And that's across the board, and that's the benefit that we get when we're highly profitable. Is we can say, you know what, I'm going to keep, I'm going to partner with that ministry and take them, you know, to the next level. I sometimes think about what is it that makes Christians such an entrepreneurial bunch, because Christians have this 
I, I suspect something part of their identity, but uh, but Christians who are entrepreneurial, it, it's as though uh, there's something that's come from God, from outside themselves, that has enabled them to think, to uh, to envision uh, something that's bigger than that they might have not ordinarily uh, thought of. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, when we talk about profitability, uh, t- in order to actually achieve that profitability, we're also talking about a level of discipline. Now, when you say you come under some sort of rules or some idea that, uh, you know, there are some boundaries that God sets, this level of discipline is actually what makes us even more entrepreneurial. Definitely. I mean, God's very clear with discipline. You know, like if you, the book of Proverbs is is the dichotomy of disciplines in our lives. And and the, the more of them you have, um, then the better results you're going to get just by default. Um, you know, when you're reading, what I love about Proverbs is it's highly practical. Like it's a very practical book. Um, if you were to do the things in Proverbs, or what it says, you know, about working diligently, getting up early, you know, all the things that it says, what to stay away from and what to do, you'll, you'll achieve better results than if you don't do them. Um, you know, and just because they're really smart strategies. We are opening our talkback lines. You can join in our conversation today. You might have a question. You might have a comment to make. We are talking about Christian entrepreneurism this hour. Our special guest is Wes Hone, one of the nation's leading business coaches. You might like to be part of our conversation. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. Wes, you have been involved now in coaching uh, hundreds, even thousands of businesses businesses. And uh, I note that one figure that comes uh, from your website is that uh, you've helped your clients uh, to amass profits uh, in that level of uh, $500 million. Is that, the, is that the figure I saw? It is the figure you saw, and it's probably a little bit higher than that now. Um, you know, that's what I love about business. You know, you can scale businesses and you can scale them quite quickly and so forth. And uh, yeah, I mean, one of my one of my favorite things to do is is to take a business from you know where it is to ten times the size. I, to me, that's a really good fun challenge. Okay, how much importance is there in the fact that when you are a business person, uh, you are entrepreneurially minded uh, to actually look at your business as a challenge? When you're the business coach and you're saying, "Well, this is a great challenge. We can see this business growing." How much is it important to actually have that idea of the challenge or the you know the game strategy? Mm. I, I actually think more people need to view it as a game instead of wrapping up their identity in their business. Okay, so a lot of people they say to me, "Oh, it's my baby," and I say, "No." It's not a baby. It's a cash cow. Like let's let's keep it really serious. It's not that important that it's a baby. And so, you know, I mean, I think after a few years of doing business, you get to a point where it becomes the game by default because you don't need to do it anymore. And and the irony is, is that that's when you that's when you take your business bigger when you don't need it anymore because you've provided enough for yourself or your family. Then it becomes a game by default. But people can start to view it as a game now. What's the challenge ahead of you this week? What's the challenge ahead of you today? So you wake up in the morning and you go, okay, I want to move my business a little bit further to here by the end of the day or by here by the end of the week or here by the end of the month or quarter and starting to see it as a challenge. And a lot of the pressure is taken off when it's a game rather than, you know, my baby that I've got to kind of hold so dearly that I'm choking it, you know. So so by making it a game, it's actually easier because you're taking a step to the side and looking at it a bit more rationally.
If you have a scenario you'd like to hear Wes reflect on, give us a call on 1-800-316-316. That's 1-800-316-316. Our talkback line open. We're talking about Christian entrepreneurism this hour. Why don't you be a part of our conversation? If you've got a question, you might have a comment. Uh, Wes Hone, our guest, and we'll talk through some of those things. Let me ask you, Wes, about the fruit that comes when you're a Christian in business, how different the fruit might be to if you are a non-Christian in business, and dare I say, a Christian who's in business who's not honoring their Christian roots, their Christian identity. Well, the Bible says to us as individuals, they they can tell, uh, you know, we're Christians because we display a fruit, uh, and it's an external thing that people will be able to see. So, so, you know, if that's the case for individuals, and that should be the case for businesses. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to put a Jesus fish on their website or a Jesus fish on their business card. You know, I think many people should probably take that off. Uh, it's like people that put the Jesus fish on their car and they should start to drive it like they've got a Jesus fish on their car. So sometimes we don't need to like brand everything that we're a Christian company. I think a much a much better way to do it is to just give people an expression of the kingdom when they transact with us. So, you know, by treating people with the amount of respect that God would, or, you know, even with your staff, there's a certain way to get them to play the game with you. Like, you know, it's okay to be a Christian and sack someone, but there's a process you might want to go through instead of just, you know, losing it and sacking someone. You you want to go through a period where you offer them some grace and try and take them from where they are to where they need to be in a time frame that you both agree on. And if they can't, then you let them go. So, um, the kind of fruit I mean is, you know, that I think highly profitable is fruit of a Christian entrepreneur. I think we can't shy away from being profitable. Um, you know, some you go into some businesses and there's just some there's just something about those businesses that's different. It's a feeling. Um, I think we can create those by bathing our businesses in prayer and praying through them and praying for our staff and things like that. And then you'll get the people that come through the business and say, there's something different about you. What is it? You know, and that starts a whole conversation. Um, and, you know, so, so there's many ways that I guess you could look at it as fruit. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, how you present yourself. Um, you know, what What do people see? You know, what's the branding like? What's the logo like? How do people dress? How do people carry themselves? I think that's a tangible fruit of being a Christian. I think we should be, um, you know, n- not everyone should be in a three-piece suit, but we should be dressed well, carried well, speak well, edifying our competition, those sort of things. I think they're tangible things that are missing that that people would look at and go, there's something different about what you're doing. You know, if I'm thinking of one of those fruit, which is not so tangible but very noticeable, I'm thinking of the word trust. Because if I'm a customer of your business, and I know you're a Christian business person, I need to be able to sense or feel that I can trust you. That's an, that's an interesting uh, aspect of, of, of how a business owner needs to present themselves, I guess, if they're uh, carrying the name of Christian entrepreneur, because trust is one of those very central, uh, pivotal uh, things that uh, that people will look at. Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, there is, um, yeah, across the board, there is a reputation of people not wanting to do business with Christian entrepreneurs, which is a big tragedy. Um, and so, you know, we've got to be congruent. So you, you, you don't want to be saying I'm a Christian business and paying your bills late, you know. And, you know, occasionally that happens where you've got to pay them late, but you want to be going to them and communicating and saying, listen, I've got a problem with my cash flow. I'll be a week late on that payment. But you, you want to tell them 
early, not just not call them and then ring them and pay them a week later. Like, so I, I think you'll never get trust by default, but you can build trust over time with your community or with your customers um, by doing things like telling them what they're going to expect from you and then giving them more. So, you know, the old under-promise and over-deliver is a really tangible thing that people can do. And what that does is that builds trust and then people will tell people based on the trust that they received. So we we just got to go over and above um, in our businesses, which doesn't need to be expensive. It can be just a phone call that you do two months after they buy from you to say, how's everything going? And thank you so much for buying or a postcard or a letter or an email. Like everybody would be different, but there are things that you could do to build trust. And it is a tangible force that, it, it, you know, that's an intangible. That That's the thing that spreads through the community, which gives you the standing or the influence that we need. You're on Vision. Great to have you along with us talking through the issue this hour about being a Christian entrepreneur. Wes Hone is our guest, one of our nation's leading business coaches. Uh, Wes, let me ask you uh, a quick question about uh, our Christian entrepreneurs, because uh, how do you know if you are an entrepreneur? Is this something that uh, you just know that you are, or how do you actually uh, make a sort of a self-assessment to say, well, you know what, I have an entrepreneurial streak. I might need to step out and do something about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a tough one because I think it's hard to give the blanket rule. Um, but I think if somebody was to ask themselves, you know, am I really an entrepreneur? Like one of the telltale signs of if you're an entrepreneur or not is what are you doing right now? Like if, you, if you're enjoying the safety of a job, you're probably not an entrepreneur. If you're in a job, but you're wanting to get out because you, you know, you, you fancy yourself as trading something, then you probably are an entrepreneur. And there's different levels, of course, of entrepreneur. You get some people who, you know, they want to start a business and be doing a billion dollars in a year. You know, that that they they're like they're like roll the dice, who dares wins, everything's on the line. You know, that's like the true true entrepreneur. But if you take a smaller level of that, there's people that they're either in a job they want to get out of because they want to start their own business. They're probably an entrepreneur. Then there's those people who are you know happy in a job and they're probably not. And you know, the, the last thing we need is a world full of entrepreneurs. If no one was doing the work, we would. It would be a mess. So we need people that are, you know, PAYG employees. Um, but And so, you know, that's okay if that's where somebody is. But the, the true entrepreneur is unsettled, unsatisfied, you know, and is a creator, wants to create something out of nothing. Sometimes people will buy themselves a business and then work in that business. And I've heard that sort of criticism that comes that uh, they've just bought themselves another job. Uh, that's not necessarily the sign of an entrepreneur, although there is an entrepreneurial nature of wanting to work for yourself and not under another boss. Yeah, sure. So there's a bit of middle ground there. Um, you know, in a sense, it's not a business because it is just, you know, somebody used to work for a boss and they didn't like the boss. So they went work for themselves and they find out they're working for a maniac somewhere down the line. Um, so that, that could just be a manager instead of an entrepreneur. Um, but, you know, it could also be an entrepreneur because it could be somebody who says, I'm going to use this knowledge, I'm going to do this business for a few years, and I'm going to sell it and go and do something bigger. So they're just using it as a stepping stone, uh, you know, in their entrepreneurial journey. Let me ask you about something I know of your past, juggling balls. Uh, tell me about your story of being in the schoolyard and uh, meeting a need that was there entrepreneurially. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was wired that way from young, you know, wanting to be an entrepreneur. That's why, I mean, I wasn't particularly studious at school because I wasn't, I didn't care about the result. I just wanted to race out and trade something. Um, but all the way through my life, as far back as I can go, I was always doing something to raise money. 
you know, I didn't come from a home where there was a lot of money. So, you know, if I wanted stuff, I had to go make it myself, which is a really good lesson to learn at a young age. And um, I remember it was my first year of high school. I was back in England. We hadn't emigrated to Australia yet. I was over in the UK. And uh, and it was my first year of high school, and, and juggling became a craze. I mean, it was like, you know, they'd go in cycles, and it came back again. And uh, and I saw all my friends racing off into our town, and they were, you know, buying expensive juggling balls, and some couldn't afford them and so forth. I thought, I could probably make something that's, you know, just as good, cheaper. And so, literally, I made one set by getting a bag of chickpeas uh, and cutting up my pair of my board shorts and putting together these three juggling balls and stitching them up. And, and then I put them in a little bag and I would write some instructions on how to juggle and staple it together and go and sell them at school. And, um, you know, demand was really high. I got a few out there. People were using them. They were really good. They were heavy. They were, you know, good solid. And then so a few more people said, can you come and make some for me? And I would. And I put my price up a bit because demand was higher. And then literally every afternoon I was riding down to Waitrose, which is the equivalent of like Coles, and uh, and buying bags of chickpeas on my BMX handlebars, you know, and uh, and then going home and cutting up my shorts. And um, it all came to a crashing end, though, when the principal came to me and said, if you keep going, you're going to get expelled. You, you can't do business at school. And uh, and that was an eye-opener for me because I realized that they don't even foster entrepreneurship anymore. They just wanted me to find one thing and, you know, be good at it for the rest of my life. And Anyway, I went and found other ways to make money outside of school as soon as I stopped my business. It is sometimes the story of very successful entrepreneurs that they weren't so great at school uh, and that didn't stop them anyway because once they found a system, uh, a way to actually produce a product and market it and then ultimately sell it, uh, that was where their success came. So uh, having all of the uh, the reading, writing, arithmetic wasn't always uh, the foundational thing that made them successful. There were some other things that were a little deeper. Definitely. And, and I, you know, I think if all things being equal, I recommend someone be studious. Like all things being equal, academic education is a really good thing. But I think if you don't have it, that's not an excuse not to make it, you know, in entrepreneurship. You've just got to make up for things in other ways. So I wasn't academic but I had a huge amount of hustle and grind. So I was hap- I'll was happily put in 16, 17, 18 hours a day, time and time again, because, you know, that's what made up for my inefficiency with, with academia. So I just think you bring different things to the table. If, if you, you know, if you're lucky enough to, or maybe, maybe not lucky enough, if you are hardworking enough and focused enough to do well at school, go to uni, do well at uni and get a good job or, or start a good business, then that's probably going to help you. But if you don't have that, you've just got to bring something else to the table, which in my case was like, do the hard work, work at it really well, put in long days and do the hustle. And it all works out equal in the end. And of course, in those early days, you weren't a Christian. It was later on when you first discovered that there was a relationship you could have with God, this sort of reconnection, a reconciliation. You discovered Jesus Christ and you began to become a reader and uh, you began to get into the things of God. Yeah, I mean, when I was um, 12, I had a reading age of six. And so, you know, I was embarrassed, stand up, spell something in class, couldn't spell it down into the opportunity class I went um, you know, with kids that had, you know, proper illnesses and uh, I was forced to write everything in a book that I couldn't spell for a year and highly embarrassing and so forth. And I basically gave up reading at that point. You know, I kind of believed that I was no good. And um, and then when I came to Christ, um, you know, I wanted to read my Bible, which made no sense whatsoever for the first 12 months. It was like, it might as well have been reading German for me. But I stuck at it and it made sense. Um, but I started to read other books about successful business people, successful Christians, people that have done great things. And, and I 
after a period of time, it clicked. And I, you know, I can only put it down to a Holy Spirit conversion. But, you know, now I read eight books at a time. I know where they're all at. Um, I've probably read more than 450 books on entrepreneurship and, and autobiographies, and I have an insatiable thirst. And uh, and I find reading to be really, really simple, and I really enjoy it. So uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm reading everything I possibly can about the Reverend Billy Graham. That guy's my hero. So I'm just reading every bit of literature that I can find about him. It's Neil with you talking Christian entrepreneurs this hour. Our guest is Wes Hearn, one of the nation's leading business coaches, founder of Business Greenhouse and author of the book called Supernatural Business. Let's take some calls. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Jenny in Brisbane. Hello, Jenny. Welcome along to 2020. Yes, thank you. Jenny, oh, what are your I thoughts? I wasn't cut off. Uh, <laughs> who's speaking? It's Neil here and Wes is with me as well. Yes. What are your thoughts? Long to you both. God bless you both. Thank you. My line just just sort of went dead, and I just prayed that it it was still there because I'm on a cell phone. (laughs) All right. Well, you've got us now. What are your thoughts? Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. God bless you for all that you do for so many. I just carry you in my love and prayers day and night, and um, thank you, Wes, too, for all that you're doing. This is about my brother, my beautiful brother in Africa. He's 67. He does solar-powered swimming pools. In South Africa. Okay, solar solar power for swimming pools, yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, he, he started his own business because his daughter's autistic. She's 25. And his wife also works. Uh, they both work from home, but he sort of loses more hours because somebody has to be there with a child. It's a 24-hour business, you know, job with an autistic child. So he doesn't get too many hours. And his business went insolvent because... His clients didn't pay him. You know, the rich people, in many instances, they don't pay you. So his business went insolvent. He, he lost his vehicle and everything. Now he's, he's, the vehicle he's got that he's had for 25 years is just about ready to pack up. But my brother won't give up. And um, he lives month by month. And I also send money over when I can every month to help him because they're living month by month and he wants to do better and we just I just I keep them in prayer all the time but what can we do to help him and his family let's hear from Wes yeah I mean first of all I mean I, I, I feel for the guy I mean it must be it must be tough to do business with an autistic child I mean I can't yes. comprehend it that that would that would be I mean well done to him for wanting to keep trying like that tenacity is what is needed in the world yeah um, as far as people not paying, I think the model, like, so if that was a client in Australia, I'd be saying the model needs to change. So, you know, you've got to take 50% up front before you start. You've got to get 25% more partway through the job, you know, and then, you know, kind of hold something back and, you know, don't release something until it's finally paid. And, 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 and at least that way, um, you're reducing your risk because you're getting more of it up front. Yeah, I understand. He's, uh, it's very hard. You know, I love my brother so much, and he's so hardworking. And, um, uh, you know, they live on their, on tender hooks month mm-hmm. by month, and they've got bills to pay and all that. So if you could just keep them in your prayers, and I will tell him that too. I've actually given him your email address. I don't have computers and things. But, um, you know, when you're so down, only God can make him get onto the Internet and look you up. 
Jenny, great to hear from you. Thanks so much for your sharing that story with us today. And uh, thanks to Wes too for uh, what was a great little bit of wisdom when it comes to being in business and your client refuses to pay. Uh, let's continue to take some calls. 1-800-316-316 is our number if you'd like to be part of this conversation. Melissa is in Cairns in Queensland. Hello, Melissa. Welcome along. Hi, how are you? Very good, Melissa. What are your thoughts or do you have a question for our guest today? Yes, I do. Um, where'd, me and a friend of mine are just developing a small business and it's just in the infancy stage and we're developing... Along the sort of the beginning point was that to satisfy a need in the market. So, And I don't know what other people think, but ours is depicting... And it has a Christian focus in the long term, but in the short term it's not quite Christian focused. Is I've seen a need in the, or what I feel is a deficiency in the marketplace for Christian visual arts and a depiction of, and perhaps more of a push for spirituality depicted visually through, and I see that in the cheap shops and that where they have Buddhas and um, like Confucius sayings and all mm-hmm. that. And I feel that there's a need there, and I get disappointed that in our country, that has some Christian heritage, that that's sort of not available in a cheap fashion to the public. And I thought maybe, because my friend's very gifted in art as well, that just satisfying that need. So we've started a small, like, home gallery, and we're just starting it now. We're just starting an internet. And I was just wondering, like, are there any pointers for when you take something that's a hobby and make it into a business? Yeah. So um, the reason why it doesn't exist, you know, um, Christian art in shops is because you haven't started a year ago. So it sounds to me like this is your job to go fix, which is excellent because somebody needs to do it. Um, The difference between like being small and going big is your ability to build scale in the business. So, for example, if you're producing everything yourself right now, that's not scalable because you can do X many pieces a day or a week and you can't do 10 times that amount. So you just want to make sure that, and that's okay to be doing it all yourself now, but you've got to build a business model that allows you to scale up to, you know, 200 pieces, 500 pieces, a thousand pieces, you know, so that you can flood the market enough to get the outcome that you want of people seeing it everywhere. So I'd be looking at the business model going, you know, it's okay if you do it all now, but at what point does the business model change where it's scalable enough that you can produce 20, 50, 100 times as many pieces as you do now? I was thinking on the small scale. I, I did think of that because, like as it is, I have obviously a, a, a another job, a career that I do permanently, and um, and so I thought maybe I could. Well, I was thinking of developing like a she shed. You know how there's the men's sheds. Mm-hmm. Well, I was sort of thinking of having like a she shed, and in that she shed, um, having and there's some community things that I think would work well with that too, and training other people up and getting and training them up in their art skills, and they, they have their own art skills. But I don't know whether, because those people aren't, perhaps wouldn't have that Christian focus, because I wouldn't put that as a deterrent, they may not be able to produce, be willing to um, follow that avenue that I'm perhaps producing. They might produce artwork, but they may not have that Christian yeah. ideology underneath. To me, they're separate. I think your business would fund your she shed, which I think is an excellent idea, by the way, the she shed. I could see a brand where the word is just shed, but the she is a different color to the D. 
um, and that would be a fantastic ministry to run. But that they're probably different. So your business would get big enough to the point where you'd be funding she sheds would be a great model. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316, talking Christians and entrepreneurism this hour. 1-800-316-316, Wes Hone, our guest, one of the nation's leading business coaches. Just picking up on a a little angle on our last caller there, Wes, the idea that if you're a Christian and you want to go into business, that somehow or other you feel the need to have a Christian product, which is not necessarily the case. Not at all. I mean, you know, I think, some will and some won't. You know, I think I think there's a grace for some people to be covert and there's a grace for some people to be overt in their approach. But I think one of the things to remember is business by default is a good thing for society. So you don't have to have a Christian product. You don't have to have Christian T-shirts with Christian phrases on them to have a Christian business. You know, you, you can be a mortgage broker or a builder or, a, you know, a car yard and, and still run a business where people get to experience something different. And it's not a Christian product. You know, just just by the virtue of the fact that you're employing people, giving them jobs, paying their wages, like all of that is giving people, um, you know, bettering society by default. It doesn't have to be a Christian product. Um you know, and, and there are plenty of examples out there where, where, you know, Christians are running big corporations and and you wouldn't know necessarily in the product, but you would know in the experience that you have. Interesting when you mention uh, T-shirts, which is an interesting aside to talk about like this because you don't have to have a Christian logo on a T-shirt for it to be a Christian business, but then you might be governed a little by your ethics by some of the sorts of things that you might put on a T-shirt because you wouldn't put some unchristian things on there. No, but there's the middle ground of neutral, right? Which can have a good story and have a good meaning, but it doesn't say, you know, John 3.16 or pictures of Jesus with nails in his hands, you know. It, it can just be a good message, a clean, wholesome message um, or a clean, wholesome image that, that, that isn't bad. And, and I think in that middle ground, there's a lot of room to play. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Diane in Cooma in New South Wales. Hello, Diane. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you. Diane, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, we run a small website development and web hosting business in rural New South Wales. And I guess my interest is in developing a very small business to be able to bring some hope, employment and a future for rural towns. As particularly for young people. Right. What's the name of your business? Uh, Sutton Net. Sutton Net. Sutton Net. How do you spell that? S-U-T-T-O-N Net. Okay, Sutton Net. Okay, uh, and uh, for people in New South Wales, perhaps Google that. You might find someone who'll help with your website. Uh, did you have a particular question for Wes? Or just uh, you're yes, interested in how that might develop? I'm interested in some thoughts about how Christian business people can work in with their local community, particularly small towns who are struggling, and provide some hope and a vision for the future. Okay. So, I mean, I, I don't know that your, that your business needs to necessarily do that. It can, probably in some way. But the other thing is, of course, is that that's what you can do personally. And, and we, I think we all... We all need to do that, whether we're in a country town or a big city or whatever. I think we all need to become a bit of a person of influence 
and be the one that champions society and be the one that champions family and be the one that has a better vision for the city than what the city currently has. Um, and I think that influence is really important. And we, and I think we all need to do that on a, on a micro level. Um, as far as the business goes, you, you know, if you build it big enough that you're employing people and, you know, if you employ them, then you can give them, you know, coaching, which means you can, you know, invest in their lives in a little way. And if you pay them well and give them bonuses, like by default, you will have that level of influence. And, you know, I think we all need to be doing it. And if we did all do it, then Christianity would have a fantastic reputation. Diane, you're in Cooma. So we're talking a New South Wales town. And uh, you want your be- your business to be a blessing to your community. This is one of those things, isn't it, with uh, any internet-based business. You don't have to have a, a a geographical location in a big city to be successful. You can do that wherever you are when you're working online. Especially with web design. I mean, you know, the the thing about web design is you can be in Kuma and you can be selling right across Australia and you know producing websites for people right across Australia. You don't you don't have to be restricted to your country town anymore. What about the marketing of uh, your business when you're developing websites? I guess this all happens online. Uh, what are your your thoughts on on, on online uh, increasing your visibility in the marketplace, Wes? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, online is a fantastic space with. With with Google AdWords, um, which obviously wouldn't have a huge amount of traffic in a small town, um, but it would have some. So people jumping onto Google, typing in a search for you know web design, um, Kuma or or, or or the greater region, um, you know that there's there's an area there you you can do Australia wide for AdWords, and there's a massive there, there would be thousands and thousands of people a month typing web design into Google, so you can play in that space. There's also you know Facebook. It gets a bit of a bad rap, but it, it's probably the number one online marketing tool in the world now bar none um, with this new advent of Facebook dark posts which you can do a bunch of research on basically means you can target anybody in any location and sell them your product um, so you got your online but you cannot build a business wholly online anymore you've got to get offline and get into the community you know sponsor things go to networking events have lunch with people ask for referrals you know and you've got to get that online offline world working together to build a great business Diane from Kuma, thanks so much for being a participant in 2020 today. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. 1-800-316-316. Wes, let me ask you about, if we're talking Christian entrepreneurs, what are the sorts of traits? Now, sometimes we talk about uh, traits when we're discussing leadership and we're talking about identities for people. Sort of special traits do you identify that are pretty common amongst people who are Christian entrepreneurs? Okay, <clears throat> um, you know the Bible tells us some things to do as individuals, and for some reason they haven't translated to entrepreneurship. You know, entrepreneurs are driven by dollars, KPIs, numbers, tangibles, results, and so the thing that usually slips is the intangible, like prayer, like reading the Bible. And, and, and there's always that notion of, I'll get to that. But, but, but it, you know, if it's done, it's usually done without the depth that it really needs to. And, you know, in my world, you know, we've got hundreds of clients. There's some that are struggling. There's some that are absolutely winning. We know great relationships, great business, great, you know, great church life. And those people spend a lot of time in prayer. 
I'm talking like a whole day regularly every week or half a day a week or, you know, like every morning for hours and reading their Bible and understanding their Bible, not just reading it to learn words, but actually seeking deep revelation of, you know, how did Solomon handle his people and how does that apply to my business? And, you know, how did Joseph handle adversity and how does that apply to my business? And like like digging a lot deeper and finding revelation, but that doesn't happen in five minutes. You know, I think we need entrepreneurs to realize that, their prayer life is just as important as their business life. And, uh, and, and, you know, we've got to be on our knees and we've got to be seeking and, and saying, Lord, show me this and help me with this and, you know, and, and, and bring the king into the kingdom business that we want to build. And then it's going to go way better. But because that is the last thing on the to-do list, the to-do list very rarely starts with get on my knees and pray for two hours. Uh, that's normally like last, if ever on the list. Like, I think we've got to get that shift going on where we actually, do the God bit just, and we treat it just as seriously as the the trade and the commerce bit. And then I, the, the people that do that right now are winning big time. Some people would be thinking, well, I'm running a small business. It's keeping me super busy. I'm up early and I'm working till late. I just haven't got time uh, to actually get up and uh, and be in prayer early or even at the end of the day. In fact, it exhausts me everything I do in small business. What are your thoughts for people who are exhausted by uh, the treadmill that they're on in their small yeah. business? So I get it. I mean, we live in a busy world and everyone's exhausted. And so what's another couple of hours? I mean, if you're already exhausted, then a few more hours isn't going to hurt. Um, but, but it doesn't work that way. Let, let me tell you my story. You know, we run a consulting business five we've got five one days in a week to you know sell that time to our customers to help them out um i realized i needed to do more prayer so i decided i'd say to god i'm going to give you half a day a week and i would give him monday morning so i would uh you know i'm on the gold coast so i would jump on my jet ski go and spend some time in the waves and i would spend the entire morning reading my bible listening to him pulling it apart reading you know journaling and so forth and I did that for about six weeks until I really felt God, like I realized this pattern just about when I was pushing in and getting revelation, it was time to pack up and go home. So I said to God, okay, I'm going to take you serious in this world. And I did a whole day every week, which is 20% of my productivity down the toilet if you looked at it commercially. But it doesn't work that way because in that time, he got to show me the secret garden path, the faster ways to get from A to Z. And the, you know, he would drop in my spirit one person to call. I'd call them and it would open the door to the next level. So because he sits outside of time, and, and we, were, we, we were created for intimacy. We weren't created to sell cars and lay carpet. We were created first and foremost for intimacy. So if we're not treating it well, like if we're not giving that the respect, then don't expect supernatural. But if we, but, so I would judge anyone, just give it a go. Like do, do what doesn't make sense. Spend less time in your business and more time in prayer and just watch what happens. Interestingly, and I'm trying to remember whether it was in the word for today just these past few days or whether I read it somewhere else, but the idea of spending time in prayer and perhaps you've got the Bible and you might have your own impression about what that prayer time should look like, but the idea of your mind wandering and I was reading about this, and if a mind wanders to a particular life scenario or a difficulty in business or in family life, that's not necessarily a wrong thing to happen in your prayer time because those things are being inspired by God as things that you are bringing before him in prayer. When you talk about spending hours in prayer, sometimes people think, I can't just sort of keep concentrated that long. Uh, but the way that those thoughts come to mind actually can be 
inspiration from God. And when you talk about finding a new pathway, is that the sort of thing you're talking about in, in, in how to wait on God for, for answers? Yep. So I think we've got to take the pressure off. You know, if we're going to give God two hours, let's not be religious and, and beat ourselves up if we start thinking about the fact that I've got to pick, you know, dog food up for the dog at the end of the day. Like what I do with mine is, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly liberal. I sit there with my journal open and my pen uh, and my Bible and my prayer time. And if a thought comes to mind about something I need to do, I just write it down for later. Um, and and there have been times when I have just actioned an email in my prayer time because I was like, oh, I should just get that away now and it's two minutes and I'll do the email, come back to God. And, you know, because it because it just works that way. You know, if if it would be a problem if I started with God and then went to emails and three hours later I was still doing emails, that would be a problem. But, you know, I don't have a problem with just nipping away to do one thing very quickly because it's become because I've forgotten it or it's time sensitive or whatever. And then I come back to God and sit with him and, you know, I do prayer, I pray in the spirit, but, but I also do listening prayer, which is the hard one, which is actually when we stop, you know, asking for things and we listen to what he has to say. What does he want to share with us? And that's where you get your best stuff, when you, when we actually can quieten ourselves down enough inside to hear what that still small voice wants to say to us. And that's, that's where you get the ring this person or stop doing that or take this deal or say no to that prospect or whatever. And, and that stuff is what is supernatural about business. And ultimately, I guess that overtakes your whole business because you're bringing all of the facets of your business into this, uh, you know, under God's hand. Because it'd be funny if we thought of our pastor each day only spending some time in prayer at the beginning and then uh, going off doing all of his pastoral work and not actually acknowledging that God was his partner in in his pastoral oversight of his church. Uh, there is a sense, isn't there? And I know we've spoken about this before. You have a calling to your business, just like someone might have a calling in their Christian ministry. It's no less to be called in your business. And so, therefore, your business is a partnership with God. Yeah, I mean, if you're a full-time Christian, you're in full-time ministry. You don't get a choice. You know that you can't join the ministry. That, that that's a lie about joining the ministry. You can join the vocation of ministry, but you know when you became a Christian, you became a minister, and and so your business just becomes your pulpit, just like somebody in government. You know that's that's their ministry. A teacher, that's their ministry. It doesn't mean that we all have to be doing altar calls and revival meetings, but we've but we've got it. There, there is no divide between what's sacred and what's secular. You know, the business isn't secular and your Sunday is sacred. That that doesn't exist. That's It's it's just not biblical. It's all sacred. And uh, and so we, we've just got to treat it all as ministry time. Well, let's. Uh, we're coming to the end of our conversation. News in just a few moments. Uh, let me just ask you about your website. You've been very generous over the years now, Wes, in, uh, in offering uh, some insights and connection with people all over Australia when they want to contact you. So uh, I'll point people to your website at businessgreenhouse.com.au. Uh, you annually, you have a conference that uh, you've, you know, it's growing each year each year now and uh, very exciting things happening with your conference and I'll also point people to your book which they can get a hold of when they go to your website at businessgreenhouse.com.au and your book is called Supernatural Business and all about practical strategies for bigger profits and greater influence. Influence. Uh, Wes Hone, uh, one of our nation's leading business coaches, the founder of Business Greenhouse. Just great having your insights again today, Wes. Thanks so much for being with us here on 2020. Thanks, Neil. 
Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.